Dirty Talk. Plain Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is, of course, a right on at 10 o'clock. It's right on until 1 o'clock and it's right on all the time that we talk for you and for the rest of the world because it's the only place where you hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This morning we'll be talking about the state we are in and I can tell you uh, there's a lot of wokeism going on out there. Uh, there's bankers getting suspended for talking about climate change and saying the wrong thing. Uh, there's people being told not to mention skiing holidays in case it upsets co-workers because they can't afford to go on them and it's not really very inclusive. Uh, we're taking the advice of Baroness Kate Hurry on all manner of situations. First of all on Boris Johnson, why are the Partygate stories still being written and why are his aides trying to rubbish the Sue Gray report before it comes out? I don't think anybody cares anymore, do they? Brexit, why are the politicians talking about Northern Ireland as though it's some kind of different country? that it's some kind of different place. It's not part, actually, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, OK? Monkeypox, what's the reason for all the panic? There's about 20 people that have got it, apparently, in this country. We're told that all of them are not in serious condition. We're told that it is not a deadly disease. We're told uh, that, basically, nothing to worry about. If you do get it, it's a bit unpleasant, uh, and you might look a bit weird for a while, but after all, uh, sometimes you can get sick. I mean, you can go out there and get meningitis. You can go out and fall under a bus. There's all manner of things that can happen. Why are we being told that this is another nightmare scenario waiting to happen? People are saying things like, oh, this is how COVID started, you know, we only had a few. There's like one person got it in France and something like that. Uh, and in Belgium, they're telling people to go into quarantine. The NHS in this country are telling people to self-isolate for three weeks. I mean, what's, what's going on exactly? We'll be finding out. Martin Gower is here. We'll be talking to him about the state of the NHS. Um, why, in fact... Is Peter Hitchens on? He's coming in at 11 o'clock. He'll be talking about Ukraine. He's asking the question this week in his column, why did we not report what happened in Mariupol as a surrender? Why are people so scared of talking about Ukraine as though it's not heaven? What's going on with that? Lots more to do, lots more to talk about. I can tell you uh, that Pavement Posts is the name of the word uh, that we were looking for with Julie Hartley Brewer. I'm about to put out a picture of what these pavement posts are because, incredibly, uh, if you're having a party, apparently you're not supposed to put any bunting up and you're supposed to drink out of plastic glasses just in case you drop any glass and people get uh, injured feet. What sort of country have we become, ladies and gentlemen? 0344 499 1000 is the number. You can, of course, get us everywhere. Uh, we're all over the television. We're all over YouTube. Get us on Talk TV on the app. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on Apple TV as well. 0344 499 1000. We'll hear your tales of the weekend. If you haven't seen me doing the weather, that's another treat in store for you. We're going to be doing that later on as well. This is Talk TV. This is the home of common sense. Let's do it. And it is, once again, time to start off another brilliant week here at Talk TV. There's an awful lot to talk about. I'm not quite sure where to begin, but let's start with Baroness Kate Hurry, of course. Kate, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, um, I'm presuming that you may well be in Northern Ireland, so let's start with that. Nancy Pelosi seems to be getting involved in it. Joe Biden wants to have his say. Everybody wants to talk about Northern Ireland, but nobody seems to want to actually do anything. No, and uh, we're going to see an awful lot more about it this week because this delegation from the United States Congress have arrived, uh, led by someone who is a really, really strong 
uh, supporter of nationalism, and they've come over to uh, tell the United Kingdom government that what they're going to do with the protocol is just is, is wrong. Uh, if they try to get rid of it, they're going to come to, uh, they're already in the Republic of Ireland, and they're coming up to Northern Ireland to tell people in Northern Ireland, you know, how shocking it is and how President Biden's really upset that we could dare to think of doing something about the protocol because it might affect the uh, Belfast Agreement, which, of course, we all know is already affected by the protocol. So uh, I, Lord Frost, actually, who was the minister who was involved with the original uh, signing up of the um, protocol as part of the withdrawal agreement, um, has done an interview for Spiked uh, over the weekend. And it's actually, he's very honest, you know, he says they were forced into doing it because Brexit couldn't be lost. Uh, but the reality is Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. It's now being treated as a kind of offshore island. It's got nothing to do with the UK. And he is now pushing very, very strongly for the legislation to be brought in. I mean, it's all very well talking about it and all the ministers say about how terrible it is and how we must do something. Liz Truss has to do something now, especially as she's been told off by um, Pelosi, the yes. American speaker. I mean, I thought that would immediately want you to make do something right away. Well, you would think, because, I mean, this is our sovereign territory. It's got nothing to do with the Americans. I mean, Joe Biden has literally no business sticking his nose into the Good Friday Agreement uh, or Brexit either. So, I mean, we should be telling him to go and take a running jump, shouldn't we? Well, you know, there's this worry that, you know, oh, well, if, we're too, if we're not very nice, then we might not get a trade deal. Well, I, I personally don't think we get any kind of trade deal under Biden anyway. And I actually not sure, you know, necessarily how much benefit it would do us to have with this trade deal. So I think, you know, to, the economic issues are important, but the sovereignty and democracy is even more important. And that's why, you know, Liz Trust has to actually do something and do something this week, I think, rather than keep, keep putting it off. Presumably, they're now writing the legislation. Well, you know, that legislation, anyone could write it almost because we're, it's pretty clear we just need to say we're not going to operate the protocol in the way that the European Union has tried to make us do. Mm. And um, we will go back to, you know, making some kind of law that says we won't allow things, anything that goes illegally to the Republic of Ireland, we will prosecute. The Republic of Ireland could do exactly the same thing. And that sort problem solved. But, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And as you know, and I'm sure all our listeners and viewers know, it's, it's much more about political yes. machinations by both the EU and the Irish government. Well, and point scoring as well. I mean, it won't be scared you'll notice that the, the new First Minister of uh, Northern Ireland d disappeared off to Edinburgh the first chance he got to sit down with Nicola Sturgeon to make it and look it as if, you know, we're all in it together. Yeah, and Nicola Sturgeon, it's interesting, never, ever wanted to meet uh, uh, when Arlene Foster was the First Minister, never asked to meet her. Uh, and, of course, it's rather interesting because they want to break up um, you know, the country, whereas the um, Northern Ireland First Minister wants to uh, um, bring the country together. So uh, it must have been quite an interesting conversation they had. Uh, yes, it must have been. Um, but equally, I would say, um, you know, independence for Scotland is about just as far away as the United Ireland is, because you told me straight after the local elections not that long ago that actually the, 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 the thirst for a United Ireland is no more now than it ever was. Absolutely, absolutely right. And of course, Sinn Féin didn't get any more members. Than, but, you know, I think what we have to realise is that there is a, all those people who were opposed to us leaving the European Union have kind of coalesced now in a kind of opposition 
to doing anything about the protocol. They see that as something that they can kind of hang on to as, as a way of showing the European Union that they're still with them, they still really would like to be back. Interesting, mind you, that Hillary Benn, who of course has got a lot of responsibility for what happened because he was, was the Benn Act in Parliament that, that made it very, very difficult for our negotiators to, to get out because they were the motion was saying you can't get out without a, mm. a deal. And that pushed the pressure. But interestingly, he's saying now, even he is saying that things have to change with the protocol. So we, you know, we're getting there slowly, but I don't think anyone should underestimate that over the next week or so, we're going to have this united um, groups of people from the establishment, from the civil service at, at certain levels, from the American government, from the Irish government, all putting the pressure on the Prime Minister and this trust not to bring in this legislation. And I think that's going to be a mark of just how serious we are about really being an independent, democratic, sovereign country. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And as far as Boris Johnson is concerned, I mean, he's not saying much about it. Would it help, do you think, if he sort of waded in and did his Boris act and kind of turned up and, and told everybody to stop, you know, to start getting around the table and make a proper decision? Well, I imagine he is pretty pretty much in, in, in line with what Liz Truss is saying. But, you know, the Prime Minister is someone who doesn't really like having rows with people. I mean, that's, that's the reality. He's one of these people who thinks that he can, you know, get on with everybody and that basically say one thing to one of them that they will believe him. And, and I'm afraid that on, on the protocol, of course, in Northern Ireland, he did promise very, very strongly that there wouldn't be an Irish sea border. And, mm. and there is. So it's probably best to leave it to Liz Truss at the moment. Um, he did come over to Northern Ireland um, which, you know, was made a huge, huge issue. I mean, isn't it amazing that because the Prime Minister visits a part of the United Kingdom, somehow that's that's a huge story. Right. I mean, that's, that is shocking. He should be visiting Northern Ireland regularly, as, as, as other ministers should be doing as well. Well, exactly right. And it brings us back to that point that Lord Frost made, that some people are talking about it as if it's a kind of foreign... Um, you know, uh, sort of digni dignified uh, dignitaries hang out somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, as if it was the Falkland Islands or something. Yeah, the Americans would like us to think, and that's what the, you know, the Irish government, they're all, they're all, you know, and basically Northern Ireland is 100 years old this last year, 2021. We couldn't celebrate it. Next weekend, there's going to be a huge, huge, not a demonstration, a huge, big, procession right from Stormont through Belfast is going to be absolutely enormous. And that's the celebration or the remembrance of 100 years of Northern Ireland. And I think, although neither my, you or myself will be around in another 100 years, I think Northern <laughs> Ireland still will be. Oh, I think so. And, and we would very much hope so too. Speaking of, uh, of Boris Johnson, are you surprised about the, uh, the efforts to which so many media companies and various broadcasters are still going to to talk about Partygate. I mean, the police have finished their investigation. The Sue Gray report comes out later. I mean, by the time the Sue Gray report comes out, to be honest, I'm not really not sure anybody cares, do they? Yes, and I, well, I think a lot of those people you're referring to are people who were very upset that he didn't get lots more, um, you know, fines and, and, and was mentioned in, in the police reports. Yeah. So that kind of turned them then to the only thing they've got left, really, is the Sue Gray report. And, of course, then there's this sort of artificial um, kind of, hysteria going on at the moment about the fact that you know the prime minister actually met one of the most senior civil servants a few weeks ago mm. um i would be surprised if he didn't but you know i do have a lot of faith in sue gray i mean i think she is a very tough person i don't think for her own reputation she's going to want to um, be involved in any kind of sort of wheeling and dealing and i think um you know her report 
will probably name, well, name, I hope it names civil servants particularly. Yeah. Boris probably will get some kind of uh, criticism as well. But all of it, I think, is, you know, it's all far, far, far too late for those people who wanted Boris out. And let's not forget, let's be honest, a lot of those people are just people who really dislike the fact that the Prime Minister took us out of the European yeah. Union. I know. It is quite remarkable how much hatred there is for him. And, you know, there's any number of uh, accusations you can level at him. Uh, you've worked with him in, in the mayor's office, you know, uh, but we know where his strengths lie. And, and frankly, this has been a distraction. It was a big story months and months ago, but it's just dragged on so long that it's kind of embarrassing now. I think people want, want to get, move on. I mean, there's so much more happening that, that, that really is, you know, affecting people. And, of course, well, I mean, we won't talk about the new... The new thing, the new disease coming around, or the new plague, or the new whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I, I expect that will allow people now to move oh, on. Oh, we can move on to monkeypox. Yeah, well, funnily enough, we'll, we'll move on to that in a little while. I've got more All to right. talk to you about, Kate. I want to talk to you as well about the football pitch invasions uh, because that seems to be a real prom- problem at the moment. You were sports minister uh, a while ago as well. We'll talk about that. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, with you until one o'clock, of course, when it's Ian Collins, it's Jeremy Carl from four, uh, back to Tom Newton Dunn at seven, uh, Piers Morgan at eight, and of course, the talk tonight, which I think Julie Hartley Brewer said she was on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, so you won't want to watch that, of course, and Daisy McAndrew from ten. Lots going on here, though. Uh, we're talking to Kate Howey, Baroness Howey, no less, uh, over in Northern Ireland. We've talked a bit about that. Um, Baroness, I see that uh, there's going to be some London tube strikes going on and some RMT action up and down the country as well. They've actually announced just before we came on the air, uh, they're going to have a crippling 24-hour action on the day after the Jubilee weekend. I presume that means on the Monday. So in addition to already threatening to go on strike from Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, they're going to have a nice long weekend and not bother working on Monday either. Yeah, I mean, the RMT is renowned for its um, ability to um, cause havoc in, yes. in, uh, at certain important times. And I think, I think it's particular for getting... Uh, the, the issue of whether they should be striking or not, of course, there's a legal right to strike. I just think it's so, so mean of them to um, do it at a weekend when so many people will be wanting to come to London yeah. to celebrate 70 years of Her Majesty. You know, it, it's, it shows a kind of almost um, cruel kind of callousness mm. to do it in that, that weekend. I mean, a strike... It hurts people all the time, but sometimes there are really genuine reasons for it and unions feel there's nothing else can be done. I think in this case, uh, you know, the negotiations have been going on for a long time. They obviously don't think they're going to get enough money uh, and they want it's more about also fixing fixing some of the stru- infrastructure. But to do it that weekend, I just think, is is really pretty shameful. And well, I it really is. In the well, I mean, again, in, in the good old days when Labour was a, a party that recognised trade unions and represented trade unions and actually uh, worked with trade unions, you know, you would have reasonable people running them. You know, it wasn't all there was always the odd sort of bad apple. But generally speaking, you know, the Labour Party would have some influence over them. But now there's no influence on them at all. They do whatever the hell they like. Last week, they were talking about shutting down Green Park Station because it was the closest thing to Buckingham Palace, as if it was some kind of political statement. We don't like the monarchy. Yes, well, I, I expect that they don't. I mean, the, certainly the leadership. But, you know, I'm sure there's some rank-and-file members of the RMT who, who have a completely different view. That we don't have the result. I think, I think there's a ballot result coming out probably in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, but usually, if the RMT leadership asks for a strike, 
they get the backing of their their members. Um, it is. It is. I, I I imagine that they feel between now and that date that somebody might move some move and they might be able to get something extra. But I, I you know I think that's unlikely. Yeah. I I just think it's wrong. It's it's a. I'm not I'm not condemning strikes in 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 completely, but. This just is not acceptable and not necessarily and certainly at the wrong time in the wrong place. Yes, no, I think that's absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about the football pitch invasions. You were a sports minister under Tony Blair's government. Um, it seems to be a fairly simple thing to fix, isn't it? Don't you just take points away from the football club and they then make sure that uh, the people who are stewarding the, 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 the pitch itself make sure that the people who are in the stands know that and they won't want to harm their own club by running onto the pitch and causing havoc. But Mike, that would affect the Premier League club's money and so on. So, you know, ability... No, I think you're right. I think I think what we have to differentiate too is between, you know, a very special final, say the cup final, and the team that wins, you know, being so excited, some of them go onto the pitch. Yeah. But they're not there in an aggressive way. They're not attacking the team they've just beaten. They're not, you know, what we saw, some of the disgraceful ways that individual players from the opposite team uh, I think it was the Crystal Palace fan in particular. You know, that, that was wrong. But oh, no, that was, and that was Everton fan who, who was attacking Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was the Crystal Palace had, had manager. The, yeah. manager. Um, but we certainly can't go back to what used to happen, of course, when they put big, big um, you know, in my day, w- what we were trying to get rid of was yes. the uh, defences, Ryan, because that, that was a, a real, real safety hazard. But I think you're right. I think the clubs have to deal with their own supporters and it may be that the only way the, the supporter the, the, will realise is that if they do that then they are going to not actually get the points in the long term and therefore their chances of winning are, are reduced but you know most supporters don't run onto the pitch um, yes there seems to have been an awful lot recently mm. um, so I think we just have to be very careful not to sort of you know rush into doing some kind of draconian thing but it is up to the Premier League to have to sort this and they can do it in their own way. And I think your suggestion is something that um, should should genuinely be looked at. Mm, yes, I think so. Let's talk a bit about the uh, state of play and the, and the current crisis uh, in, uh, I guess, inflation going up to 9%, people's unaffordability. Front page of the Mail today says, uh, sorry, front page of the Times rather says, people will soon, 40% of people will soon not be able to afford to pay their energy bills. Um I'm amazed at how calm everybody seems to be in government about this. There's talk that Rishi Sunak's going to make some kind of uh, you know, tax rebate, which could involve council tax. But they really need to start cutting VAT or something, don't they? Well, I think the problem with cutting VAT, Mike, is and that the reason they haven't done it is that at the moment, why we've got the protocol, they could cut it in the rest of the United Kingdom, but not in Northern Ireland. Because <laughs> the EU so, you know, they're, they're kind of hung up by their own, their own policy on that. But I do think, I think Rishi Shunak will be forced and will have to make another statement in the next couple of weeks before um, things get any worse. And I, uh, you know, I, council tax have already done something with, but they could do more with it. And of course, we're going to have that real debate, which I genuinely am not sure about whether it's the right thing or not, you know, to, to actually tax the energy companies more, to put on a special windfall tax. There are arguments for and against it. Um, I'm not against it on any kind of ideological grounds. I'm just wondering genuinely whether it it, it will make the difference in, in the long run. Yeah. But also, you know, I do think that if we could find the money 
for uh, the COVID problem when that was a crisis. You know, in it, for many, many people, this is a crisis, and therefore government has to be able to come in and find ways to help those people at the very, very poorest. I don't. I think a lot of people, particularly middle class people and, and people with middle class incomes, will be able to manage by simply reducing things that they normally do. And you know, some of us old enough went through this in the 70s during the the worst times when things were very bad, mm. very bad. And we didn't have as much choice, I suppose, in those days, no. but we did actually, you know, you realized you had to cut back on things. You couldn't take the holiday you wanted to do and that kind of thing. Now that sounds always very harsh and you get accused of being some you know, nasty person telling people to look at how they spend their money. But for a lot of people, it really isn't possible to make those cuts because they've already you know, they're already on, yeah, they're already on the yes. breadline, and yeah. they're already on the sort of bare minimum and that they're getting, the getting by. Think, those are the people that the chancellor should be trying, yeah. trying to help, and not a kind of cross the board uh, thing, which will make it, you know, uh, where people who are pretty well off but just might have to eat into their savings a little bit. Right. They they don't need the help. The, the real help needs to go to those people at, at the very very sharp end. Of yeah. The no, I mean, for me, the, the, the problem is that the, the, the oil companies, the energy companies are making vast amounts of profits. I don't think taxing those profits is the answer, but certainly convincing them to reduce their prices is the answer. Because all you do by taxing them uh, is still continue to allow people who can't afford to pay really, really high bills continue to pay the really, really high bills. It's the bills that need to come down, not the, not the yes. profits. I mean, and, and I, I don't understand why government can't bring in legislation that would cap even further the prices yeah. that, that they can put them up to you know that and, and actually sit around the table with them i don't know where the dining street is called years ago we used to have always these meetings where dining street would call in everybody and sit around the yes. table and give them beer or sandwiches i think that was trade unions but they should do that and, and actually see what together they can do because it's not in the interest of the energy companies either to have this happening long term no, I think you're absolutely right. Kate, great to speak to you. See you again soon in the studio, hopefully. Baroness Kate Hoey there talking to us from Northern Ireland uh, with a problem uh, for Northern Ireland, still unsolved, the Brexit deal that hasn't happened there yet. Now we've got the Americans all over the place making a nuisance of themselves. Not very helpful. Thanks very much indeed. Off you pop. Uh, back to Washington, if you don't mind. Uh, we've got much more to do. We can talk about the NHS. More working from home suggestions, by the way. And also ambulances that don't actually get you to hospital. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. You know what to do. We need your voices. We need your views. We need your stories. We need everything uh, that you can give us so that we can give it on uh, to everybody else. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we can talk about the state of play. We can talk about the cost of living, what the government should be doing uh, to help people actually pay the bills that they're getting through their lesson boxes every single day that they can't afford to get. We'll talk a little bit about the bunting problem uh, over uh, in various different councils where... Apparently, people are being told, oh, you can't hang any bunting between lampposts. That's not what they're for. How ridiculous is that? And I have managed to find a word, pavement posts. Some people call them bollards, but you know what I mean? Julia and I were struggling to actually try to identify what they are. I've put a picture out on Twitter now, so if you don't know what I was talking about, uh, please try and imagine. And I'll try and get a picture. I didn't take one at the weekend of what one of them would look like if they're covered with a sort of red, white and blue sock, effectively, that I think somebody's knitted. They look quite, quite cute, actually. I mean, I'm not one for bunting particularly, but I mean, for heaven's sake, it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee coming up. Let's have a bit of a party. We should be celebrating it, for heaven's sake. Let's talk now, though, to Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chair, because a terrible story emerged over the course of the week 
weekend in the Sunday Times, and it was about an ambulance service uh, up in the northeast of England, NEAS, the Northeast Ambulance Service, which has admitted now and apologised for uh, various historic failings, they call them. Whistleblowers said that when they uh, were filling out reports, managers filtered out inconvenient facts from reports before they were sent to the coroner in order to present paramedics in a more flattering light. And these, of course, would be situations where people died as a result of what can only be described as negligence by the ambulance service. Martin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. It's a sho- um, it's a shocking story. This we've been we've been talking for a long time here on this show, uh, many times with yourself about the failings of the NHS. I mean, this is worse than something not working very well. This is willful, you know, rewriting of reports. And and sadly, Mike, it's not the first time within the NHS that this has actually happened. Mm. Um, when I read this yes- yesterday in the Sunday Times, I was horrified, frankly. Um, you know, it, to, just to read that that sort of thing was still going on, because a lot of things were done to try and stop that. Um, every trust has to have a freedom to speak up guardian. Their job is to look around the trust and check whether there's likely to be these sorts of situations and report them back. Um, they have a lot of independence, a lot of authority. Um, but in, in this trust, which has been historically rated as being an effective and and high-performing trust. It's rated good by the CQC. Um, So it it was particularly disappointing to hear about this up in the northeast of England, which overall have got so many good NHS services there. so, you know, I, I, I just felt terribly sad reading it. Yes, well, exactly. I mean, one of the most horrendous um, items in the report uh, was about the treatment of a 17-year-old girl. I don't know if you saw this one, called Quinn Evie Beadle, who killed herself near her home in County Durham in December 2018. Um, apparently, a police officer arrived, was trying to give CPR to the girl, uh, only to be told by the attending paramedic, you can stop now, she's gone. Um which clearly wasn't true uh, because she still had um, um, a pulse. She, her heart was still pumping. But when it came to the coroner's uh, report, all of that was taken out and the paramedics' uh, words were removed and they suggested that trying to do anything on life support would have not had a positive outcome. I mean, that's, quite frankly, a complete and utter lie. Absolutely. And, and my, um, the, my, the trust that I chaired, uh, both of them, were in mental health and, and actually... To, to lie to the coroner or mislead the coroner or try and leave out stuff that the coroner should be advised of was something that was just unthinkable. Um, so very, very disappointing. And frankly, and I know that I think we have just to have a little bit of caution because I've no doubt there will be another uh, inquiry into this, much more detailed, much more public inquiry. Um, you'll remember the Robert Francis inquiry maybe into the mid-staffs um, situation yeah. which was appalling as well and I think there might will probably be some type of inquiry like that um, and, 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 and anybody who's been guilty of either doing this or approving the fact that it's being done shouldn't even be there working today mm. they should be suspended until that inquiry is finished um, in my but opinion. Does, now, in, in, your, in your experience of these things though Martin is that normally what happens because I remember the Shropshire case. I remember the inquiry there. I don't remember uh, anyone ever being properly punished for it because most of the executives or the NHS trust members or the board members, they all seem to leave with some kind of hefty payoff because of some blunder that was made further down the line. There, there was some of that, but but some 
frankly were were dismissed i mean it, with i mean this is what we would have called years ago gross misconduct isn't it it's something yeah. that you know if you'll know from and you and i both know from our media careers mm. that you know if, if you deliberately uh, lied in a story that got published you know you were in big trouble yeah <laughs> and gross misconduct pretty much throws any contract out the window and you don't have well, to be paid off at all but it doesn't seem to work in the public sector no i think the public sector are are a bit soft on it what it goes back to i think is this whole issue of culture now jeremy hunt commented that in his recent book i think he called the nhs a rogue organization mm. well he was responsible for it for six years yeah um, he seems to have forgotten that bit that bit isn't very convenient, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, he also he also claims that he would never have another lockdown, uh, despite the fact that he was very enthusiastic about the, the the lot we did before. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's appalling, isn't it? Really. I mean, you you can't. Um, why why he would say that, I don't know. Um, but it's very easy. Well, to I would, might 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 I be as bold as to suggest that it's an uh, unadorned ambition. I'm sure it is. You know, he fancies the uh, job and he'll, stop, and he'll stop at nothing to get him. But, I mean, he should be careful because you look what happened to Rishi Sunak when he started to, to show his, uh, yes. show his well, point. Um, let's talk about one other story this morning in The Times called for working from home medical consultants. This is a big bugbear of mine, Martin, you may know. Uh, Professor Mike Richer, Mike Richard says the health service must adopt a new workforce model, uh, basically in which people uh, who are consultants should work from home and clerical staff should be trained to conduct cancer scans what do you make of that i think that nhs staff should not work from home um i know many many are still working from home yeah it's interesting that most board meetings of the nhs trusts are being held on uh, remotely ridiculous um, they're not actually getting together around the boardroom table in a lot of places still um so yeah i th i think i mean I, i'm like you mike i i cannot credit that working from home is so apparently accepted by people. Yeah. Get in the office. Well, I mean, it's particularly when you've got a business like the NHS, which is which is front heavy, if you like, with customers and clients and people who are patients, people who need to be seen, who need to physically go somewhere to get sorted out. Surely yes. you need people to be walking around those premises, if not just to make sure they're clean enough, that they're efficient enough, that there are enough people working. And if there aren't, they fix it immediately instead of getting an email from somebody who says, oh, we think we might need some more people on floor 17, you know. Absolutely. And that comes back to some of the problems we've got now, because people haven't been walking around to the extent that they did. Um, I mean, my role as a chair was non-executive, and we had six other non-executive directors who regularly spent time yeah. looking at the services and talking to the staff. But that hasn't been going on because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think to a large extent still isn't going on now. No, it definitely isn't. I mean, I hear this all the time from people who go to hospital because of necessity, and they tell me that half the time they go there, the places are deserted. Yeah. Going back to Northeast Ambulance Service, I mean, this is a, they cover a vast area. Mm. It goes right across to Cumbria. There's some big cities there, obviously, like Newcastle and Middlesbrough. Uh, but there's also some, some very, very rural, scattered areas that they have to cover. They've also had a significant degree of sickness there. Mm. Um obviously during covid but actually they are they like all the ambulance services at the moment they are struggling yeah well they all seem to be struggling because they don't seem to know how to run the bleeding things martin we've got to run but thank you very much indeed as ever uh, for your input martin gow former nhs trust chair more from talk tv after this 
Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Imagine how it'd feel to win £10,000. Like you'd smashed it. With Set for Life, you could win £10,000 every month for 30 years. Set for Life from the National Lottery. Your numbers make amazing happen. Play Monday on app, online and in-store. Prize may be capped. Account terms, rules, procedures and game-specific rules apply. Players must be 18 or over. Welcome to everyone's favourite game show, The Motorway Way, where car dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. Gary, are you ready to sell? I am now. Thousands of car dealers are waiting to bid. £11,000. £11,500. You've sold your car. And I got more money than expected. No way. Yes way, and your car gets collected from home for free. Motorway, the way to sell your car. Sell your car at motorway.co.uk. 56% of customers received a higher sale price than the agreed reserve price. You've spent months planning your new bathroom and the dream bath to soak in. And now the moment you've been waiting for. It's freezing cold. <sighs> Don't let an old boiler spoil your new bathroom. Upgrade your boiler with British Gas and get 200 quid off. Plus, you can save up to 21% on your energy bills. Search British Gas New Boiler. Offer ends 30th of May. T's and C's and exclusions apply. New boiler saving compared to G-rated boiler. The Star Wars story continues with Obi-Wan Kenobi. The fight is done. We lost. Experience the new six-episode series, streaming May 27th on Disney+. Plus. The key to hunting Jedi is patience. Where is he? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Original series, streaming May 27th. Exclusively on Disney Plus. Your way from driveway to motorway. Talk radio. Travel update. West Yorkshire, you've been let go on the A1M South Tadcaster towards the M1, but there is still one lane closed following that lorry fire. A breakdown Cheshire on the M6 South at Nutsford 19, where one lane remains closed, coping past the scene. The A1's back open, Peterborough on the northbound side, where it's been closed all morning from the A1M towards Wandsford. Kent, the M20 West, as you join it at 9, Ashford, a broken down vehicle and transport for Wales trains replaced by the bus between Shrewsbury and Hereford. I'm Sarah Elliott. With EasyJet holidays, it's easy to find the perfect package holiday. Perhaps you're looking for a fortnight in the sun. Hmm, getting warmer. Somewhere with great kids' activities. Getting pretty hot. How about a view of a beach with golden sands? You're boiling. And delicious food? <gasps> Found it. Find your perfect package holiday at thousands of amazing hotels around Europe. Book now. Search EasyJet Holidays. At all protected. Talk radio. Smooth, strong and very long. Tell your ears to chew on this. The home of common sense. Talk radio. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's peak tinfoil hattery going on at the moment because uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine, who we'll be talking about coming up shortly with Peter Hitchens, uh, is addressing the World Economic Forum. That bloke Klaus Schwab is there as well. Uh, don't worry. Uh, if anything happens that affects any of us, I'll let you know. Uh, but it's all over the BBC, of course. We're not bothering to bring it to you here because uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, 0344 499 1000. We'd rather talk to you. We'd rather hear from you. Before we do, uh, let me tell you about something uh, which came across the desk this morning. And it is the latest mad wokery. And that's a quote from Andrew Bridgen, MP. Uh, and it is KPMG, uh, which is one of the big accountancy firms, right? You might have heard of them. They charge immense amounts of money to put loads of people into your office to help you to figure out 
what you're doing and what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. They've got about 15,000 employees in the United Kingdom. Uh, they put them on now on particular training. They have to do unconscious bias training. And if they don't do it, they are told they will not get their bonuses. So they have to do it under pain of basically not getting paid, right? So they have to go and listen to these maniacs who have been hired, presumably also at great expense, to tell them all what they're doing wrong and how to be more inclusive. And amongst the things they've been told to do is not to talk about private schools if they went to one, not to talk about skiing trips if they went on one, and not to talk uh, about privileged upbringings if they had one, because apparently that's bad for inclusivity. So basically what they're encouraging people to do is to go on holidays and not talk about them, go abroad, spend a load of money and don't admit to it. They're encouraging people to be liars. They're encouraging people to be hypocrites. They're not saying don't go on a skiing holiday. Just don't talk about it. I mean, have we reached peak idiocy in this country? They say that talking about your holidays can isolate others who can't afford to go there. I think, to be fair, if you're working at KPMG, you can probably afford a holiday somewhere. It also says that you might be forcing people from different backgrounds to feel left out, particularly from race, gender, identity, disability and sexual orientation points of view. I mean, I didn't realise that skiing holidays were the purview only of white middle class people, but maybe they are. I don't think that's true, though, is it? Has anybody not seen the Paralympics, the Winter Paralympics? I mean, for heaven's sake, anybody can go skiing. It's ridiculous. Inclusivity is now the enemy of progress. Inclusivity is now the watchword for wokery. Inclusivity, ladies and gentlemen, is all about hypocrisy. It's all about doing something, but pretending you're not doing it. It's all about pretending you like somebody, but you really don't. It's all about knowing that you're different to somebody else, but pretending you're the same. It's literally a lie. A big, very expensive, money-making lie. Just stop, will you? For heaven's sake, let's talk to Gordon, who's in Rickmansworth. Hello, Rob. Gordon. Hello, Michael. How, how are you, sir? I'm OK. I'm fine. Good. What can I do for you? Well, I'm annoyed with Sunak. I'm, I'm annoyed with ideas of windfall tax on oil companies. Yeah. Because I think, actually, it might produce a billion, two billion short term. But we do need champions. And BP is one of the top seven oil companies in the world. Right. It is international. We could find ourselves with BP going offshore in the end, and yeah. that would suit nobody. Right. They have also committed themselves, not committed, but said that they will be putting $18 billion into renewables yeah. in the UK. So I'm happy that that would be the wrong thing to do yes. in short term. Rather than that, I think we have to raise rather more in terms of money. Mm. And so one of the things I look at is tax relief on pension contributions. Yes. Who gets that? The richest get that. Basically, if if you're earning a hundred thousand pounds, let's say, or sixty thousand, you can put fifty up to fifteen thousand into the pension fund. Yeah. You will get tax relief at rates of up to forty five percent. The poor people on twenty thousand, they haven't got any money to get that tax relief. So they get none. Right. Now that tax relief is costing and it varies. And I haven't got 10,000 civil servants going through the figures for me, but somewhere between 30 and 40 billion pounds a year mm. by reducing it to the basic rate. What, so only give them tax it. relief at, at 23% or whatever? At 20%. Yeah. Um, 
And that would actually save this government £11.5 billion pounds a year. Mm. Now, that wouldn't... I, I, if we got money to spare, it has to go on those who need it. Yeah. This is not a red versus blue thing. This is a national problem. And I don't want people in this country of ours basically relying on charity to feed. No, that's true. But don't you have to be careful? My concern about all of these conversations, Gordon, is that we're turning into a kind of socialist emporium where if you haven't got enough money, we'll give it to you. We'll help you out. I've always been unsure about, like, the tax credit system, you know, where people get, you know, paid because their employers are not paying them enough, right? I would rather see an economy where people are paid a decent wage by employers so they don't need to be helped out by the state or by others who happen to be doing better. And also, I, I don't fancy I don't fancy paying tax twice on my pension, right? If I get taxed on the pension contribution I make and then get taxed when I actually take the pension, that doesn't seem fair. That means I'm getting taxed twice. No, but it doesn't seem fair that people who are, let's say, richer should actually also be richer in years to come and years why not? to come and years to come. But why not, well, though? Because they, There's because nothing wrong with being rich, is there? Uh, no. In fact, I'm actually conservative. But I vary in that I believe that greed is not something which it has to be uh, in the conservative uh yeah, but there's a big difference between allowing people to earn money, pay tax on it. Don't forget, rich people who make more money do pay more tax. There's no question about that. Aside from the big companies who get away with it, individuals in this country, British taxpayers, who are in a higher rate of tax, will pay more tax. Simple. Yeah, but, but oh, no, it's not that simple. It is. Uh, sorry, sorry, Michael. Um, That's all right. You can call me anything you like. No, no, I'm not, Mike. I'm not going <laughs> to upset you. You're not Angela uh, Rayner. Very... No, I do believe that people should earn more money. Yes. But there's a limit to how much more than others they should get. And we have a responsibility. I don't want 2,200 food banks. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
that's actually a shame on our country. Well, it is a shame on our country, but I'm sure uh, that if you took all of the food banks away tomorrow, people would not be starving in the streets, would they? No, but that would be because people are probably being charitable. No, I don't agree with that. I think there's a, there's a growth industry here, which is charity, uh, which is sort of poverty campaigning, you know, green campaigning. There's a bunch of people making a load of money out of all of this. And I know some people do it out of the goodness of their hearts, but I'm not one of those who believes that we are uh, in need of all these food banks in the way that people talk about. And so you, you do believe, do you, that people at the upper end should get massive tax reliefs on pension No, I don't. I don't think they should get massive tax relief, but I think they get... It should be the other way around. No, but Gordon, no, you've you've got it wrong. Because if you pay into a pension fund, right, you're saving for the future. Therefore, you are copper-bottoming yourself away from, you know, destitution. So the the, the business of of tax revenue is actually in favour of that, surely, because they don't have to give you any subsidies. They don't have to give you any more money. And when you do claim your pension, you will be taxed on it. So the bigger your yeah, pension but, is, but the more sure, tax you surely, pay. Surely getting a 20% relief on that contribution in itself is good. On well, top it, of well, which, it, as you know, under salary sacrifice, you will save on the national insurance. So we don't get all the national insurance we should. If you're earning around about 50, 55, 60, and you can put sufficient money away, you go under 50,000 in terms of your salary, although you have more than 50,000 really, and it re- result in you being able yeah. to claim child benefit. Yes, no, right? I, I, I would happily get rid of child benefit for people over a certain amount, which they've done already. Gordon, listen, I've got to run because other people want to talk to me. My worry about all of this is that, you know, you're punishing people who have worked very hard and maybe have been fortunate, but not everybody who is wealthy uh, started off that way. Not everybody who has made some money should be taxed up the wazoo to pay for people who haven't got any money. I don't think that's right. Frank's in Bingley in West Yorkshire. You might have an argument with me. Frank, what would you like to tell me? Oh, hi, Mike. Well, I was going to tell you I was going on holiday to Portugal in three weeks, but after that KPMG uh, report, <laughs> I, I don't want to upset you. Well, well just don't tell anyone so about it. Just keep it a secret. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's about the NHS, yes. um, Mike. Go on. I'm on a repeat prescription, um, and you meant to have a 12 months checkup, but, yeah. of course, that got dropped during COVID. Mm. Uh, but a few weeks ago, I went, I went online to make order the prescription it said you cannot order these now until you've had the clinical review Um, but they gave me the tablets on this occasion Uh, I then get a text from the NHS saying can you please send us your blood pressure results oh yeah now I thought well (laughs) they're asking me to do my own blood pressure which I know we're in a we're in a new era (laughs) but um I've managed to find a friend with a machine, but I just think this is getting ridiculous. It is getting ridiculous um, because they're expecting you now to basically diagnose yourself, take your own blood pressure, send it into them, try and get some kind of answer out of them as to what's wrong with you when you've just asked for a prescription. Exactly. Yeah, Marvelous. and I mean, it's their job to, to do the test. Well, you would think. Um, well, you would think so, wouldn't you? Because also, I've heard this from other people that have been asked to do this, and, and if you don't have one, they're quite expensive if you have to buy one, aren't they? Well, I, my friends bought one. I don't know how much you paid for it. and It seems like the real thing, but, mm. um, you know, I mean, I would think there's more to it than just blood pressure, and, and you never know whether you're... But what if you get it wrong as well? I mean, if you're not familiar with taking your own blood pressure, you, you send them in something, and then the next thing that happens is the ambulance turns up outside your house and says, you better rush you to hospital. 
That's right, yes. And then they'll probably say you can't go to Portugal. You probably. And then you probably give you monkey pox or something while you're in the ambulance. I mean, you know. <laughs> not, not good well, that's yeah, ridiculous. Well, I've, go on. I've stopped eating bananas, Mike. So. <laughs> very I'm good. Like... Very wise. Frank in Bingley. Uh, he's off to Portugal. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what you're doing, especially if you've got some money. Why have we suddenly become this giveaway nation? Look, I'm sorry for people who don't have enough money to eat. I don't believe those people exist in this country, however. I really don't. I know that people will tell me, oh, you don't know anything about the real life. You don't see real life. I see homeless people on the streets of London every single day. I know people who don't make very much money. I know people who struggle to get uh, through the day and to make ends meet. But what I don't know is anyone who is literally starving because they simply haven't got enough money to cook. Right. We know that those people don't exist in this country. What we do know is there are plenty of people who don't make enough money to have children, uh, to look after them, to do all of those things that they should do. But don't tell me that everybody else has to pay for them. The government gets massive amounts of tax from us, more tax than they've ever had since the Second World War. Spend it properly and stop coming after people who work hard and make money for even more of it. Thank you very much indeed. got a story today about the first Russian soldier to be jailed for war crimes but strangely he's been jailed by a war crimes tribunal in Ukraine which I'm not sure is the way to do it. I thought you had to go to The Hague for that sort of thing. But anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about these ludicrous councils up and down the land who are telling you if you are going to have a platinum jubilee party, uh, for heaven's sake, don't enjoy yourself. Don't have any bunting. Don't drink out of any glasses um, and don't do anything that might lead to anybody falling over. <laughs> I scarcely can believe really some of the stuff I come out with. But anyway, here we are. Peter's here. Very good morning to you. Morning. Um, even better, perhaps, than the don't go on a skiing holiday in case it upsets your fellow workers is the guy from uh, HSBC who's been suspended from his job for referring to um, people who keep pushing climate change on us as nutters. He's actually been suspended from his job. He's a banker and he's been sent home. Are you honestly surprised? Well, there is the most tremendous intolerance about this. I know. And people in my position are just about permitted to utter a faint I mean, I call them nutters all the time. A week of disagreement. Yeah. But in most parts of the it's not just the public sector now, mm. it's for every sector. Mm. Uh, it, all uh, human resources departments are, are pretty much uh, unsympathetic to anyone saying anything of this kind. I think it's it's, it's there is no there has not been freedom of speech on this issue now for right. some time. And even for people like me, it's right. wearisome if you wanted to know, just say, actually, I'm not totally sure that you're right. Mm. And you can hear the thought police jangling their handcuffs yeah. immediately. You say I mean, it. thankfully, newspapers are one of the final kind of bastions of, of, of proper yeah. freedom, where, where at least you can write a column in the Mail on Sunday. And I mean, I know that with, with, the, with the usual um, editing kind of processes that we know about, Generally speaking, you write about things that you're that, that yeah. other people may not want you to write about. But there but are, still there let are you some do things it. which have become a complete waste of time. Mm. You can, it doesn't matter what you say. The the, the the clouds of trolls immediately gather around, howling and screaming, and you think, well, and it's effective because mm. you think, is it worth? Why it? do I? Why bother doing this? Is all I get is mm. ignorant abuse, and it is all you get. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't advance any cause. That is that is the problem. That particular cause is more or less lost in public yeah. life. So I'm not surprised. Mm. 
at all. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I've I'm described surprised. it in the past, and mostly on social media, is like the sort of the crowd that used to gather outside Dracula's castle, you know, <laughs> with torches. And well, they, they had a, they had a real grievance. Well, as they, I well, they did, I suppose, even though it was a fictional you know, character. If, 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 you know, if someone's <laughs> sucking all the blood out of your fellow villagers, you've got a, you've got a point. Yeah, but there. you know how they would suddenly. I'd be, take up a pitch, pitchfork but, if anybody well, might, in, my, but, in my postcode <laughs> started doing that. I don't know about but, you. But you know how easily distracted they are because they'd all be standing there, you know, sort of jeering and shouting about what terrible things they want to do. And somebody would spot something over there. They'd all go running over there. Well, there there. is that, yes. And that's what they now do. But I I think we should distinguish between Count Dracula and the global warming fancy. Well, which which brings us to Ukraine, rather neatly, I think, because there are those who see um, Russia and Vladimir Putin as Count Dracula, don't they? Well, the, again, it's, it's, he it's, does is bad. It's, it's not unreasonable. What he does is bad. He is a domestically a sinister tyrant. He's crushed freedom of speech mm-hmm. and, and of the press. Uh, he's made the country, which was formerly at least partly free, a lot less free. And he's launched a very stupid, wrong, barbaric invasion, which no one of any sense can conceivably support or sympathise with. But there are other more complicated aspects mm. of this dispute which people need to think about. Which, which you wrote about on, yeah. on Sunday. I, just, I, I completely respect the people who are, who are pro-Ukraine. I think, OK, you're welcome to that view. Mm. I don't happen to share it. I'd happily discuss it with you and say th- this is why I think that it's much more complicated than that, 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 that you, can, you can have a war which is not justified, but which has been provoked, yes. for instance. And I think this war has been provoked. And it's interesting that people such as Robert Kagan, uh, one of the prominent neoconservative thinkers in Washington, D.C., and actually married to Victoria Newland, who's in charge of the United States Ukraine policy yeah. at the State Department, uh, has openly said in Foreign Affairs magazine that, he, that, that it's quite plain that the war was provoked. He doesn't in any way seek to justify it by saying that any more than I do. But I think anybody who doesn't recognize this happened just doesn't understand much about foreign policy. He also, interestingly, gives us another example of, of such provocation, Roosevelt's behaviour towards the Japanese mm. uh, in 1941 uh, over the oil embargo, which I th- a lot of people think uh, Roosevelt was not terribly unhappy when the Japanese responded. With Pearl Harbour. To war. They didn't, no, not, he, I don't think he expected or wanted Pearl Harbour, but no. I think he probably wanted a nice declaration of war rather than the destruction of his mm. of his Pacific fleet and thousands dead. But he, I think that it, it was people do provoke. Yeah. Germany, or rather Prussia, provoked France in 1870 and again uh, provoked Russia in 1914. It's a thing people do. Mm. And the fact that people stupidly respond to provocation counts against them. But the fact is it's, it's an important tool of foreign policy. No. Lots of things could have been done to prevent this war. Uh, and were not done, and in my view, it's a disgrace. And people, and it's a ridiculous thing. Well, people are dying. It's the bottom line, isn't they're it? Dying. They're being they're they're they're, they're being horribly injured. Uh, they're being driven from their homes, uh, possibly never to return. It's a horrible thing. War mm. is a hateful business, and you go as we've discussed before. You go within a hundred yards of it, you realise what a vile thing yeah. it is. It's obscenity. Yeah. So n- no one can be pleased about that. So why wasn't more done to avoid it? And also, if it, we, but I, what I, could have been done to avoid it? Oh, lots it, of things. But here, t- you take for instance, there was for a long period available, indeed, uh, officially sponsored by several large powers. A thing called Minsk II, which mm. was an agreement to turn the Russian-speaking areas of Ukraine into sort of Swiss federal uh, cantons, which had different language rules from the rest and their own self-government to a greater extent than they have now. And I think a lot, most of the people living in those areas would have been perfectly content with that. They'd have stayed within Ukraine. Mm. It's just Ukraine would have become a slightly more complicated country constitutionally than it is now. I think it was a sensible compromise if the Swiss can manage 
language with it, just as if the the Canadians can can give uh, their French speaking minority a lot of concessions on language without hurting themselves. Yeah. Then why not do it? But would again, it, you, it... You, you, Ukraine Ukraine has this very big problem of ultra nationalists mm. who get far more power than they should in government and have imposed language laws, for instance, which make it a disadvantage to be a native Russian speaker in a way which, if Canada did it, would be largely frowned on. Th- those are some of the things. Mm. Again, the, the But so whole... would you have seen that then as a sort of a federal state? So that it that, would well, yeah, that was what was states what, of yeah. Ukraine, as it yeah, was? Yes, yes, something of that kind. Yeah, that was what was mm. on offer. And Zelensky, uh, when he was elected, and I have a lot of time for Zelensky, I, I, I don't deride him, when he was elected, he stood as a peace candidate. Mm. And what he wanted was peace. He got popular support. That's why he got so many votes. It's why he beat Poroshenko. Yeah. But he got that. He, he won that. And then he tried to actually implement what he stood for. And he found himself being publicly confronted uh, by members of his own army, telling mm. him they weren't going to do it. And also large demonstrations got up uh, by his political opponents saying, we don't want this peace. Mm. So he's completely undermined. He's still president. But his main policy has been knocked from underneath him. So is it an ungovernable country then no, as a whole? No, it's not. If, if there weren't so much foreign intervention in it, and in that I place, I place the, U, the United States, Russia, and the European Union as, as powers that, that can do and have intervened in Ukraine, mm. if there weren't so much foreign intervention in it, it could be a perfectly happy, prosperous country. They could get on with stamping out the terrible corruption that they suffer. They could establish a decent democracy instead of the mess that they have, and they could put their economy right. At the moment, it's, it, Ukraine could be one of the richest and happiest countries in the world if it were properly governed, but it isn't because of, of terrible faults in mm. it, which are, are not being put right by this stupid war. Well, of course, and by whatever means it ends, if it ever does end, because it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon, um, those problems will persist, presumably. Well, in many ways, they'll be worse oh. because of this. And, and, and it is notable, and I keep saying this, that all the bodies which normally try and establish peace when war breaks out seem to have gone to sleep. Mm. And the United Nations. Well, right. the United Nations hasn't done anything, what are they as far as doing? I can see, for a very long time. I mean, the best they've done so far is to have a General Assembly vote uh, generally against uh, Russia, yes. where the usual suspects have voted with Russia or abstained. The, the, the Security Council seems to be not worth a fag end to me. doesn't do anything. Well, it's, 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 it, would, it would work if, it, if anyone were interested in negotiation. Yeah. But it seems to me that, that more and more, and you get people such as our, our esteemed Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, mm. the genius of Round Hay, uh, coming out and, and, and saying that, that the Ukraine should demand all kinds of more and more stringent conditions before it, uh, before, before it includes peace. Mm. Well, of course, you have to be tough when you go into negotiation. But you shouldn't draw impossible lines before you negotiate. You shouldn't box yourself into a corner. This I learned as an industrial correspondent. Yes. Always, always give yourself an out in any fight because you will need it. Yeah. But we're not giving ourselves an out. No. And you're... The main thrust of your piece was about the Mariupol um, surrender, as yeah. you called it, which wasn't called a surrender. Tell us about that. No, it's curious. I, I, that, that was the week I went into Marks and Spencer's and I discovered they were selling something called Chicken Kiev instead of Chicken Kiev. <laughs> also, by the way, for, for those who don't like chicken, uh, there's a no chicken Kiev ah, now. Yes, I but, thought that was a particularly subtle with, which, line. Which, which has no no chicken in it but lots right. of propaganda. But it's, called, but it's still called, it's got it's chicken called, on it. It's called No Chicken yeah. Kiev. No Kiev. Yes. So, no, I, anyway, what it tastes like I haven't yet been able to nerve myself to find out but in the same week when the supermarkets were engaging mm. in, in partisan propaganda about yeah. a war uh, we then got what was quite plainly a surrender whatever you think mm. of the people who've been who've been defending the steelworks 
in Mariupol, it doesn't matter what had happened was that they had uh, they had surrendered. They yeah. laid down their arms. There they were. They were being frisked as prisoners of yes. war by, the, by their Russian captors. Yet you could not get in the BBC or most of the newspapers the word surrender. Mm. wasn't there. No. They, were, they were being evacuated. Yes. Now, this is... A, this is and they were reached, being praised for, for being there where, for so long, weren't they? We've we, we reached a point where we're so completely and utterly taken up we're taking sides in this that mm. we can no longer see the truth. Therefore, you can't. If, if, you, you can't. If it's, it's 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 as if Putin couldn't accept that he'd been defeated when he has been defeated. Right. It's it's a it's a form of madness refusing to accept facts that don't fit your view. And here was a fact: the Ukrainians, who were constantly being told were wiping the floor with the Russians, had on this occasion been defeated and had surrendered, yes. and, and no one could say. The word, right. and it's all part of this mindset. Again, I talked about this this very senior Oxford academic who I was sitting at the table with, and I told her that the Ukrainians after 2014 had blocked off the water supply to Crimea, which mm. they did. Crimea is very short of water, mm. and there'd been this elaborate dam and canal system set up in the Soviet era to supply it with water, and the Ukrainians just shut it off. Now, or people make excuses for this, which shocks me. The people who suffer from this are not. Putin, he gets all the water he wants, yeah. or any of the senior apparatchiks. It's the people. And this is what's called collective punishment. Mm. It's very frowned on, uh, if not actually illegal under things like the Hague Convention. Yes. You just are not allowed to do it. And Ukraine very much broke the rules of civilized behavior by shutting off mm. that water supply. Most people in Western countries do not know that Ukraine did this. Most people do not know that Ukrainian forces shelled civilians in the in the Don Basin either mm. and, and killed quite a large number of them. They don't know this because Ukraine is entirely full of angelic, saintly, wonderful, perfect people and uh, and Russia is full of demons and orcs. Mm. And that's the view. Nothing, no good will come of a misunderstanding of the world as oversimplifies yes. that. And perhaps it would be better um, and certainly might make the settlement of the whole business quicker if other countries, i.e. neutral countries, of which there don't seem to be any, uh, could convince both sides to sit down and have a proper conversation. Well, you'll notice the way that an awful lot of the British and American press is full of derision directed towards France and Germany, yes. which, are, which are not too keen on this. Right. And, uh, whereas Britain, which has virtually no armed forces to speak of, uh, acts as a sort of yapping, uh, mm. yapping poodle to yeah. American policy. Quite what Britain's interests are. Uh, in a war in Ukraine, I, you, you, you'll have to tell me because I have absolutely yes. no idea what well, British we'll, interest this we'll serves. S- we'll see what we can get to after this. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Peter Hitchens is here from the Mail on Sunday. Peter, we mentioned just at the top there uh, that a Russian soldier has been jailed for life uh, after being found guilty of murdering an unarmed Ukrainian civilian uh, in what's being called the first war crimes trial of this war, uh, which is rather fast, it seems to me, since it's not been going that long. And also the war crimes trial has taken place in Ukraine. Well, I, it's, I don't think I've come across this before, mm. but I mean, one could only hope that the evidence was heard properly or everything else. I, who knows what's going on? I, the, the war crimes, in my experience, wars are committed by both sides. Yeah. And the idea that only one side commits war crimes, again, is, is, uh, is a folly of, mm. of, of our age. It's been unusual to have the war crimes tribunal in one of the countries that the war's going on, though. Well, I've not, I think, in fact, it took quite, there was quite an effort to prosecute some Germans for war crimes after the First World War, mm. uh, all of which ran into the sand, which is why more care was taken in setting up the Nuremberg Tribunal to try and get that. And then, of course, there's the, the, the famous Yugoslav tribunals. Mm. But outside that, I can't think of any real uh, episodes, probably some in Africa where attempts have been made. 
it is a new thing. Yeah, I think there was some genocide war tra- yeah. crimes tribunals in, uh, in, in, but, in The Hague, weren't there? But uh, the problem is all war is pretty much crime, mm. and states license their own soldiers to commit what would in normal circumstances be crimes. Yeah. And uh, where, where do you draw the line? Uh, the sort of things which 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 people do in war are, 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 are terrible, and if mm. set before a civilian court, and everyone would reel back in honour yeah. and, and say guilty or honour. Absolutely, but it doesn't tend to happen because the victors don't allow it to happen to their own troops. No, uh, and obviously, what's happening, what if, what is likely to be happening in Ukraine is that both sides will have numbers of prisoners, and they want to make sure they have a firm hold on them so that they can do exchanges later on, which mm. is what an awful lot of prison taking is about. Yes, exactly right. Let's talk about the BBC, something else you wrote about this yeah. weekend, and a, a missing drama. A missing drama, a fantastically good drama, at least I thought so at the time, which I watched at the very end of the 1960s, in 1970, as a dramatisation of Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, great, great trilogy, The Rose to Freedom. Mm. Absolutely wonderful That cast. was fantastic, I watched that. Absolutely fantastic cast mm. of, 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 of British actors of a certain generation who yeah. have all gone there. Was it Bryant? Uh, Michael, Bryant Michael Bryant, Daniel, Daniel Massey. I still remember the theme Alice, tune, Alice believe it or Fisk. not. Oh, everybody, because my parents every, were everybody very... My the mother in particular was a bit unsure whether I was old enough to watch it, because I think I was only about 10 yeah. or something, and, and there was a bit of kind of hands over the eyes at certain points. It was quite explicit It was well. very explicit. There, mm. was, there was very nearly full frontal female mm. nakedness in it, which for 1970 was, was absolutely shocking. Yes. There was a lot of obvious uh, sex in it. Uh, and it, 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 but it was, it, it was when the BBC Two was a properly artistic channel. It was yes. one of the first things they did in colour. Yes, in that wonderful sort of greenish asparagus tinted colour. It inspired me to read the book. Yeah. Uh, and the trilogy was, which was brilliant, you know. And yeah, I still, it, it, I still kind of—I don't say I live by it, but it really had an influence on my younger well, it's, life. It's, it's an extraordinary book. I yeah. had been lucky enough; I'd read it before the thing came out, mm. which is why I was so keen to see it. Yeah. And then years later, I thought, well, I wonder where's this got to? Because all kinds of stuff from the BBC of that era was mm. coming out, right. civilization and so forth. And I and I found out there was a there was a whole website of people saying, "What's happened to this series? Right. Why can't it be shown?" Because the BBC could have said, it's, it, we've wiped it, because yes. they wiped because so they much. Because they did, yeah. They did, they wiped right. huge numbers of things. I think they wiped the first Doctor Who, didn't they? But they, the, uh, <laughs> they wipe and wipe and wipe. They, but they hadn't wiped it because they'd, they'd allowed a showing of all the episodes over one weekend mm. at the British Film Institute on the South Bank in London. So it was, everybody knew the thing existed. And right. there's never any answer. If you ask the BBC, but the reasoning why can't it be you're suggesting is because of the content. Matter. There is some content. You see, left-wing people in 1970 had different views, particularly about sexual revolution, right. from the ones they have now. And the character played by Daniel Massey uh, is a, a, a an intellectual, wealthy Parisian homosexual yeah. who has attitudes towards his own desires, yeah. which would be considered extremely shockingly uh, reactionary and mm. outrageous now. Yes. Now, I think that the BBC, the BBC understands perfectly well that, that intelligent people would grasp that attitudes have changed mm. in the past, what, 52 years. Yeah. But they also understand, uh, as do we all, the huge power of the, uh, of the internet and Twitter to work up a storm mm. over nothing and the desire of people to go very long ways to be outraged. I think they fear a possible wave of outrage and being accused of promoting reactionary attitudes. Well, almost as though context doesn't matter. As, exactly as though context. And I think that, I think that must be it. Mm. But if, if, ask them, see if they'll talk to you about it. Yeah. I, I, 
the, the the last time I I asked, they just were saying no plans to show it at the moment and no explanation. Mm. And the other show, this drama that you were talking about, of course, the the thing about the African um, sort of migrants. Oh, amazing! Um, is also this. for for a reason, presumably political. Well, again, they won't. They, they didn't say there's no plans to show, but this this is extraordinarily prophetic. In 1990, the, the fantastic Juliet Stevenson starring. Uh, the the whole idea of the film is that a, is that an African sort of uh, charismatic figure uh, starts a huge march beginning in Sudan mm. of poor Africans heading towards the North African coast and, and saying we're going to we're going to go to Europe we're going to die in front of you yeah. what are you going to do about it right and it really does point up the the problem and at that time people still thought of the Mediterranean and indeed the English Channel as impossible barriers yes. for people to cross. And th that's why the prophetic nature how, of it is how so quaint. strong. How quaint. But it turned out that, uh, that, that they could cross. Mm. And in the, in the drama, they cross somewhere, I think, near Algeciras, into Spain. And it's left, you're left hanging. You don't know uh, what happens. Uh, the, the, the European Union deploys its troops on the shore. One person is shot at the beginning. But the end of it is not made clear. Mm. But it raises this huge problem. How does the rich world... Uh, deal with the problems of yeah. the poor world without destroying itself. Right, and and we are right in the middle of uh, episode seven I of that imagine. crisis. Of yeah, that crisis. Made, we don't know what's made do. immeasurably worse, I should say, by David Cameron's uh, ludicrous attack mm. on Libya. Yeah, in which I might say, I, I remember reading reports by the extraordinarily good reporter Martin Fletcher. Yeah. Of, uh, of of the broken bodies of small children found in Libyan towns as a result of NATO bombing. Yes, and that is the thing that nobody has really addressed. I mean, again, it's something you talk about a fair amount. But you know, what did what does the UK and the West do about the problems in these countries where people are so poor or so unwilling to stay there that they want to come here? Well, we have to do something about it, but I, whether, whether the best thing to do about it is to welcome millions of people here seems to me to be open to considerable doubt. Well, that's clearly, uh, and, that's clearly and the, the wrong and idea. The problem of aid, then, it's all very well saying let's send more aid, but the problem of aid so often being diverted into the pockets, and the film, The March, yeah. uh, that Juliet Stevenson film makes this point, that aid ends up in the wrong pockets so often. Yes. Some way must be found of making sure that the aid gets to where it is supposed right. to get to, and I don't know how you do that, but, but what's I mean, for certain is that, is, is that just, just saying, all right, we have we, we give up having borders altogether. Mm. That won't work. No, it really won't. I mean, um, I wonder whether it would be cheaper to, to to just go back to being the British Empire. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, but, you know, unfortunately, we're that, that age out of time. that age is gone. The only empire that's, good, that's that's being built at the moment is the Chinese Empire. Yes, and, and they're you, all you, over Africa. Absolutely guarantee they are indeed very active mm. in Africa. You absolutely guarantee that they're not going to be uh, encouraging the populations of Africa and the Middle East to move to China. They're certainly not, and they certainly wouldn't be allowing them to do it the way they're doing it. So, well, Peter, great to see you as ever. Thank, Thank you. you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens uh, writes his column in the Mail on Sunday, of course. Uh, we had a bonus uh, earlier in the week. We didn't get around to talking about that, but maybe we'll revisit uh, how in uh, England should become independent. Uh, we did talk about it, though, in, in, in your stead uh, earlier in the week. We've got much more to do. Coming up, uh, I'll be telling you about why we've become this ludicrous nation of people who stop now for everything that walks across the road, including ducklings by the way, uh, and if you don't stop, you get reported to the police. Amazing. Uh, this is Talk TV. Edgy talk, brain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. With you, of course, all the way through until one o'clock. We are into the afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's four minutes past twelve or thereabouts. We've got much to do. Uh, plenty of your calls to talk about, and plenty of your views to air as well, because you're the most important part of this show. Uh, you might think it's me, uh, but yes, there is some truth to that. But it's all about you because you tell us things that we didn't know, and we tell everybody else. And that's what I find the most inspiring of all things that happen here at Talk TV, because we're like no other TV channel. No other TV channel actually cares what you think. They don't bother asking you. They just assume you'll like what they give you. Well, we don't. Uh, we do ask you, and we do want you to join in. Coming up in this hour, Rob Clark is here. Uh, he's the Director uh, of Defence and Security uh, Unit at Civitas. He's got fascinating study, a fascinating piece that he's written uh, in the last few days, all about the connections between China and the NHS. Peter Hitchens was here earlier talking about China uh, and how much of Africa that they have basically cordoned off and sectioned off uh, as part of the new Chinese empire. Parts of Africa that, of course, used to be part of the British empire. We're not allowed to have an empire anymore because apparently that was cruel. The Chinese are fine, though. No problem at all. They can have as much as they like. They're into large parts of the, the South American continent as well. And they're all over uh, Asia, as you might expect. So uh, we'll find out from Rob precisely what the connection is uh, between China and the NHS. But I can tell you this. There's an awful lot of money going from here to there. And it's your money. Government money. Taxpayers' money. 0344 499 We'll keep your views coming on the cost of living, of course. And uh, the invasions of the football pitches, which seem to be going on. My plan for making it stop seems to be absolutely brilliant, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. We are here at the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It's time to say a very good afternoon to Rob Clark. Rob, nice to see you. Afternoon, Mike. Nice to see you as well on uh, uh, such a lovely day. Coming in. Thank you for coming into the studio. Uh, we're going to have some food later on from Borough Market. So if you hang around, you might. if you're hungry, you might do well. Nice. Um, now, we've always known, I suppose, that the NHS has got billions and billions and billions of pounds mm. swilling around inside its coffers. What we don't know is exactly what they do with it. You've discovered that they're paying at least £6.2 billion, I think, in the last year to keep the NHS going with things from China. Mm. So tell us about how you got onto this story and how it kind of affects all of us. Well, I mean, really, the uh, the study itself was almost a follow-up to the government's Project Defend. Right. So if you remember in the first pandemic, or the first lockdown in the pandemic, um, exactly to the month, it was May 2020, Boris Johnson announced the government's review of um, the reliance on critical supply chains for um, for other countries. Mm. So, for example, penicillin, uh, the majority was from India, right. and a lot of PPE. This was the, the scramble for PPE, if you like. Um, now, it's understandable, if not condonable, that the government turned to readily available uh, PPE from China in mm. the pandemic. Um, but this is two years on now. Mm. Um, you know, we're emerging in this sort of post-pandemic age, um, and really to still have um, not even... Um, a reliance on China, but in some in some ways uh, the, the the critical reliance. So, for example, before the pandemic, it was around about five six percent of the government's disaster relief list. So, we're talking things like bandages, wheelchairs, oxygen, syringes, PPE. Mm. Um, it was around about six seven percent. That's now tripled uh, to just under eighteen percent, right. around seventeen percent. Um, so, it's about one in six of those items listed um, are reliant on Chinese sources. Yeah. Um, this is incredibly damaging for national security concerns, but also financially. This is costing, like you mentioned a moment ago, it's the taxpayers' money. It's around £600 million a month yeah. going towards the Chinese government. That's extraordinary. And in terms of how it happens, is there somebody selling this to the NHS? Like, do they have like a sales team? Or is it done on the telephone? Is it done online? How does that work? 
Um, so really, it's the large state-owned uh, corporations, the pharmaceutical corporations in China. Um, for example, the majority are based in Shanghai. One of the problems with this is um, quite a lot of Chinese products for manufacturing use what I'm going to use for layman's terms, slave labour. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is sourced in Xinjiang province in the northwest, which is where the Uyghur Muslims are facing a genocide campaign against the Chinese government. Um, so quite recently, uh, a bill's come out in parliament to make sure it's uh, illegal for or uh, wrong for the government to pursue um, any imports from, mm. from Xinjiang. The problem no. is a lot of the NHS supply uh, chains have come from there in the past. So really, this is all coming to a head now where the government really needs to take a stand on this and actually announce some concrete proposals for how Project Defender is going uh, and critically sort of uh, reduce the reliance on China. Um, and just as importantly, actually, reinvest back into British. There's no reason why small and medium-sized uh, British businesses uh, can't compete with these large Chinese conglomerates should the civil service and the health department uh, choose to uh, almost onshore back into Britain. Mm, absolutely right. And of course, one of the things that, that maddened and saddened an awful lot of people was that China was the beginning of COVID. Mm. China was the, the source of COVID. The world suffered economically and, and healthily as mm. well. Um, and nothing seems to have been done. I mean, China has just got richer uh, as a result. Oh, sure. I mean, last year, uh, China was the, um, uh, the the only member of the G uh, the G20 to actually increase um, net um, their, their economy to grow by net terms. Mm. And it's uh, no coincidence, a lot of it was done on the so-called PPE diplomacy, so where they held other countries um, largely to sort of economic and diplomatic blackmail and ransom mm. for favourable PPE tenure and contracts. We've seen the same in the NHS. Right. And we have to remember, this is a country, it would be different if this was France or, well, not so different, but this would be different if it was, say, France or Germany or Spain, but this is China. Um, and China were, as well as um, uh, completely uh, complicit in, in uh, holding the WHO um, ransom over uh, diplomatic efforts to sort of find out the origins of um, the COVID pandemic. Mm. Uh, but the government also listed China as the number one economic threat to British economic security uh, last year in the integrated review. So it makes no strategic sense to have these critical supply chains um, ransomed by no. China. Well, Surely it would make, I mean, we're always hearing about how Britain doesn't have any manufacture anymore. Wouldn't it make mm. more sense for us to make the stuff here or would it be too expensive? No, this is exactly what I'm saying. This is a problem now within the civil service and within the health department where they've um, they've made it uh, uncompetitive for small and medium-sized British businesses to compete against these large Chinese pharmaceutical con conglomerates. Mm. And that really needs to change. Um, and this is really hopefully the impetus to start um, getting you know the government to really rethink its strategy on sourcing PPE. Not only is it damaging um, for the NHS, potentially, strategically, but also it's damaging British business as well. Yeah, and these companies that are getting all of this money, mm. the £600 million a week, is it? A month. Say? A Six, month, sorry. Um, is that private companies or are they state-owned companies? So well, is it going to the government? Yeah, this is the problem. With a country like China, with a, or with a government like China, the vast majority, for example, the pharmaceutical companies, they may say they're private-owned, but they are state-operated. Mm. These are state-controlled conglomerates. Yeah. So in effect, we're handing over £600 million a month to the Chinese government, um, who are conducting, obviously, genocide in, in, uh, in Xinjiang, right. um, and they're uh, trampling over human rights, for example, in Hong Kong and Taiwan still. So this is, it, like I say, it would be different if it was another country, pretty much any other country. Mm. But the fact it's China, and it goes directly to the state-controlled government, it's incredibly damaging for British national security. Well, it must be. And just a few figures here that, that were in your report. Almost all paper masks used by medics in hospitals come from China, mm -hmm. 90%. More than half of all gloves, 54%, and almost 80% of bandages. Mm -hmm. And almost half of bedside monitors now come from China, up from zero in 2015, mm -hmm. and 42% of emergency trials in wheelchairs. So, I mean, clearly somebody's been 
working the, 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 the passage, if you like, in order to get this business. Because if there was zero money uh, coming for bedside monitors in 2015, yeah. why now has almost half of them mm. come from China? When did, when, you know, how does it happen? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's the, like I said a moment ago at the beginning, it's, it's understandable, if not condonable, uh, to source heavily from Chinese um, manufacturers at the beginning of the pandemic when there was an absolute global scramble for health products. But like I say, this is two years on now. We're starting to emerge from this post-COVID age where we're um, you know, coming out stronger. Obviously, we've got uh, fantastic opportunities now with leaving the European Union. We don't need and we absolutely shouldn't be beholden to a regime like China for um, around one in six of these critical supply chains. Um, it's it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. And so, what would be the alternatives? I mean, where do people in Europe, for example, you mentioned France and Germany, mm. do they buy as much from China, or are they buying from elsewhere? So, interestingly, yeah. So, some European countries are still in the exact same mindset as Britain. So, it's still they they speak about trying to end reliance. Boris Johnson has done the same. They, they leaders speak about ending reliance on China, but quite often, in particular, Western. Um, Western European countries like France and Germany and Britain, uh, it's still this hangover effect of, uh, of, the, of the pandemic, of lockdown. Mm. Um, but like I say, it's two years on and there really does need to be uh, this, this rethink now and this recalibration to onshore and even with um, you know, global partners, for example, like Taiwan, mm. with America, with Canada, with Western Europe, um, uh, to really sort of end this reliance on China. And Western Europe as a whole are, are pretty bad in, in the same regards. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got Western Europe mostly buying most of their gas supplies from Russia. So, I mean, exactly. it's not exactly uh, a place where they seem to care too much about the ethics mm. of what they're actually doing. But, I mean, it seems to me that this is a relatively easy thing to fix, isn't it? I mean, is there a, I mean, like all things with the NHS, I mean, today we were talking about how uh, there's yet more suggestions that uh, consultants should now work from home and not mm. bother going to see patients. We've seen already a terrible story in the Sunday Times weekend about the ambulance service in the northeast of England mm. not working properly. Um, there will be the NHS providers or NHS purchasing or somebody responsible for all of this. I wonder if we can find out who it is that's doing this and actually go to them and say, look, this is wrong. You're actually giving British taxpayers money uh, to a foreign regime, which is doing God knows what to some of the minorities in their country, which on the face of it is certainly unethical. Mm. But two, you're putting at risk our kind of... Um, national security for one and, and our over-reliance on one country like I said it's absolutely ridiculous the problem is now with the NHS these require uh, actually quite deep structural changes like mm. I say with the contracting uh, and the, the bids for tenure for the for the PP products themselves it really requires uh, leadership from the top which I'm afraid is the Prime Minister in this instance to actually end the reliance on China more broadly the positive impact on this is there does seem to be this growing consensus especially amongst the Conservative government of ending reliance uh, on Chinese critical supply chains not just for um, for the NHS but obviously for example last year we had the Telecommunications Security Act yeah. which banned um, China state-owned operators from British telecommunications. That's all got away, that story now, but I never really quite was satisfied that we got to the end of it because Huawei were very much still in the, in the talks to, to run all sorts of networks in this country, weren't they? Yeah, that, so the talk the talks have officially ended in that sense. Huawei will be, uh, by the end of this year, uh, they will be completely out of Britain's uh, critical national infrastructure and telecommunications setup, which okay. is absolutely fantastic. We yeah. need the exact same approach. Um, which has actually happened relatively quickly mm. uh, when we consider the, you know, I'm, I'm realistic, the government have multiple uh, factors and considerations and priorities. Uh, but the Telecommunications Security Act last year does demonstrate actually how quickly this can be enacted yeah. if there's broad uh, general consensus, which there does seem to be uh, regarding the, the NHS. Right. And your new role at Civitas involves you sort of keeping an eye on China, which can't be mm. a bad thing. Um, what are you seeing as far as their kind of what they're saying about what's happening in Ukraine, what they're saying about mm. buying things from Russia. Presumably they're still keeping Russia going economically. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the interesting 
um, it's difficult yet interesting uh, relationship plays between Ukraine uh, between Russia and China mm. is a lot of this is obviously understandably behind sort of closed doors and it's not made public um, this came out in a really large way um, around uh, I think it was around the second week of the invasion the third week of the invasion so late February mm. um, when there was significant evidence to suggest that China had actually conducted preemptive um, offensive cyber operations against the Ukrainian government right. um, in the run-up to the invasion literally a few days before um, so we can already see just how um, it's this co-option I described it, um, it's no longer an alliance it's a co-opting uh, of Moscow by Beijing uh, where Russia will um, be the junior partner um, and there's a lot of uh, there's, there's a growing consensus actually where once the proverbial door settles from the conflict in Ukraine, which absolutely should be carrying on in Ukraine's favour and we should be supporting that. But when it does eventually uh, come to some form of agreement uh, on Ukraine's terms, um, there is a growing consensus that, in fact, Russia should be brought more closely into the fold, particularly, mm. uh, especially if it's a post-Putin uh, regime in Moscow, um, which would naturally be favourable in some instances. Um, and that's it's this idea that we can actually wean the, uh, the international community more gradually off the reliance on China more broadly and Russia are an absolute intrinsic part of that Yeah, absolutely right, well it's great to talk to you and uh, we'll probably be talking quite a lot I would imagine as we see uh, the world kind of changing because there mm. is definitely sort of a new world emerging out of all of this with China very much just sitting and watching and waiting to see what the West is going to do next Robert Clark uh, from Civitas, thank you very much indeed, fascinating story, £600 million a month going to China from the NHS you talk about where the money's going well, there's an awful lot of it going there. Surely something must be done. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got lots more going on. We'll take more of your calls, of course. We're going to be talking about the Queen's uh, Jubilee, the Platinum Jubilee, because there are some councils, right, who don't want you to have a party. Or at least if you do have a party, don't have any bunting, don't have any glasses, don't have any fun, don't have any plates that might break if you drop them. Don't walk around in case you trip over. Huh? What's going on? It's a party. It's a weekend. Even the tubes are going on strike because they want to have a party. Oh, no, sorry, because they want better conditions. That's right, isn't it? This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.